Good evening. Thanks for coming in tonight. Go ahead and get seated as we begin. Uh, this one's a, maybe just a little longer. I told him I might be going a little longer tonight, so let's just uh, get ready with this one. And as you can already see, um, because I'm dressed, those of you who cannot see this but you're listening um, on the internet or whatever, I'm dressed completely head to toe in Roman armor. I have a total set of real Roman armor or replication of museum quality. And that's what I'm wearing is tonight we examine more in our remaining in Christ as what. And tonight we're going to focus on who we are. Who are we in Christ? We are soldiers of Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20. Yes, the passage on the armor of God. I know we have covered and people have covered and listened to sermons on this over and over and over. Yeah, I know. But... A lot of times we hear sermons on this and they explain the parts, but they never explain what we're supposed to do with the parts. Tonight, that's what I'm going to focus on. Who we are in Christ, we are soldiers, and God has given us armor. But not just am I going to list the pieces of armor and name what they are. I'm going to tell you what they mean and how to apply it to your life. This could be one of the most important lessons you ever hear. So with this, let's get started in prayer. And as I um, lead you through this study, um, hopefully I don't fall over because this is really heavy stuff. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll begin. Father God, we thank you again for an opportunity of coming before you and opening up your word. And in a way, when we open up our Bibles, Lord, we can sort of figuratively stare into the face of Almighty God because these are the words that you spoke. And you told Paul what to write down. And these are literally your words that the ambassador Paul wrote to us as a messenger for you. And this is what you're telling us. So help us, Lord, to understand how to use this armor that you have so equipped, uh, equipped us for, oh God. And with that, teach us. Teach us how to use it. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles open, let's go to this very familiar passage for many of you, I know. Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Let's read. This is, by the way, I want to mention this right off. In the ancient text, this is one paragraph. One paragraph. Now, it's important when you study how paragraphs, you know, um, like opening sentences of paragraphs are the topic or thesis sentence and everything pertaining the sentences and the rest of the paragraph pertain to that one there. So as we get into this, you're going to see what the, the sentence is that opens it up and then how each piece pertains to that opening sentence. I know some translations break this up into a couple of different paragraphs, but in the ancient manuscripts, the oldest manuscripts we have, this is all contained in one paragraph. All these verses pertain to that first opening statement in uh, verse 10. So Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 out of the English Standard Version reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Let's just stop right there. That is our thesis or opening sentence. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Notice it has this word finally at the beginning. But to be strong in the Lord. How do we be strong in the Lord? How do we live a Christian life in, in this foreign, hostile world to God? How do we go about doing this and remain strong? That's what this paragraph and this lesson is about. 
Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Continuing, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. There we are. That's the paragraph, all one paragraph, the armor of God. But notice that first sentence, be strong. He's telling us how to be strong, how to rely upon the strength of God in his might. And in the very next verse, he says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's a lot in this one sentence. To put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, soldiers which you are all soldiers. We're all soldiers here because we're all Christians. We're claiming to be Christians. If you are born again or born above Christian, you're a soldier. You're in this war. In soldiers, he says, to put on the whole armor of God, not just one or two pieces, the whole armor of God. The Greek word here is the word enduo. Going back to the ancient manuscripts, the word enduo, meaning to carry, to put on, to carry with the idea of permanence. This is not something you put on and you just sort of, okay, take it off. Some people will put on their Sunday clothes on Sunday morning or their spiritual Sunday clothes, I might should should put it that way. They put on a special air that they go to church on Sunday. When they get home Sunday afternoon, they take it off and then they put on more secular stuff. And they carry that secular stuff the rest of the week. And then next Sunday, they put on their spiritual little airs again and go back to church. No, 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 no. That is not what's being said here. This is being is telling us to put on this stuff and you wear it permanently. So what are we first to put on? Well, we're told to put on the armor. Now, not just one piece or two, but the whole, the whole armor. Even the most brave and eager soldier is helpless without God's provision. That's what God is telling us. Without my strength, without my armor, without my protection, you are doomed. You are going to be in all sorts of trouble. So put this on. I will show you how to be strong. I will give you strength. And he's telling us this. There is an important lesson here concerning the first three pieces of armor also. Now, look at verse 14 and 15. 
Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and his shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Three pieces that he mentions right there in that one sentence. Now, what is important and is often overlooked in the wording of these three are what we're to do with these three. It says having, having. This is a Greek word that is translated in the aorist tense. And what this is telling us is that these things are always war constantly. It says these are three pieces that when you put these on, these you don't ever take off. They're on all the time. You never, ever take them off. It's that simple. So what are the three pieces we're supposed to never take off? Do you understand how important this is? And in Greek, when you put things in a numerical sequence, the first things are the most important. So God, I mean, it always puzzled me as a kid. Why isn't the helmet of salvation the first thing? Why isn't that number one? Why isn't the shield of faith number one? You notice what God says first? What in his uh, way of describing this is he is counting the most important? Because that's what this is. They're all important, but this one, number one, one of them has to be placed first. And this is it. It's called the belt of truth. Ephesians 6.14, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. Now what in the world could that possibly mean to be the most important thing? A belt of truth? Hmm. Well, as you can notice what I'm wearing here, underneath the armor, you can see hanging out in different places, um, there are, uh, it's a red tunic. The Romans fought with red tunics. Red for color, because if you did get wounded, it would be masked. You wouldn't show it as well. British Army did the same thing for uh, many centuries. They wore red. But they would wear this tunic. Basically, it's like a big sheet with just a hole cut in the middle. You put over your top of your head, and you see my arms are sticking out. You can see it coming down to um, almost to my elbows. And this is just a tunic. And it's something like a poncho. Without the armor, if I had this, uh, just came out here in just a tunic, it would just look like I'm wearing a big red poncho covering down almost to my knees. Now, the thing is, there's, this thing is big. I know you can't see this on the internet, but this is a huge tunic. And it's very easy. If you're fighting where the Romans did out in fields and stuff, sometimes there's storm bushes or uh, craggy areas and stuff and sharp rocks maybe on ledges. It's very easy for this tunic to get caught. It could easily be snagged on a on a thorn or something and sort of held up. If you're starting to swing your arm to, uh, with a sword or to bring the shield up and your tunic on your, your arm gets caught, you're, you're defenseless. You're, you're in trouble. And so what they did, what the Romans did is Roman soldiers always wore a belt and they would put this belt on and they would put this on and the belt, as you can see here, has um, it's a large leather belt. It has frays going down with little brass uh, markings and, and objects on it. Some belts actually had the legion that they belonged to. It's like a belt buckle in a way, and a, like an emblem in the front. Uh, this one doesn't have that, but it's, it shows this heavy, thick belt um, protecting the anterior part of my body here as it hangs down from my waist. And they did this to uh, cinch up. This is the important part. They cinched up. They put this on, and then they grabbed the tunic. And you can see, if I lift up my breastplate a little bit here, you can see how it's been tucked in at certain places. I've tucked this in, and that way it doesn't get snagged by anything. It doesn't get, uh, there's not a distraction for it to uh, hinder me from doing my job. 
So what's the reason behind this? Why is this so important? Why is this part of the armor of God, this belt in which the soldiers used and that they would cinch up the tunic? Why is this called truth? Have you ever wondered that? Why did God, and I want you to think about this for a second. Why did God use all these different things and give them um, the pieces of armor and give them those names? Why didn't he call the, the belt of truth salvation? Why didn't he call the breastplate faith? You know, why did he do it these, these things this way? There's reasons. God doesn't do anything by random and, uh, and chance like that. He has a plan for everything, and he did this too. The word truth in the Greek that's used here is the word uh, aletheia, which means, aletheia, I'm sorry, aletheia, which means to, uh, it, it's the content of the truth. The content of the truth. And you notice that what they're doing is they're cinching everything up and tucking everything in to this truth. Nothing is going to hinder them because it's all been tucked in and held in place by this belt of truth. What is truth then? Truth is the word of God. The Bible. You wrap around God's spoken truth. You go into battle, secured in battle, with God's truth. Someone comes up, some enemy of yours comes up and he gives some statement or makes some comment about an untruth that God used Darwinian evolution to create everything or, you know, um, oh, there's many ways to get to heaven or you don't have to uh, have Jesus to go to heaven. Uh, there's all sorts of things like this. These are not truths. These are things that hinder many Christians. And God says, don't let them hinder you. You believe what I give you. You believe what I said. Without basic biblical teaching of the word of God, you can very easily be swayed by false doctrine and Satan's lies. Let me repeat that because that is so important. Without basic biblical teaching of the word of God, you can easily be swayed by false doctrines and Satan's lies. So you wrap yourself totally in what God says, his facts, his truth, because that is the ultimate of truth. Over 79 times in the Bible, God is called truth as a name. He is truth. Satan is the father of lies. Notice, too, that this belt is holding my sword. Soldiers would attack, uh, attach the sword and maybe a dagger and other things to this belt. Thus, it serves as the foundation of everything, holding everything together. You see how important truth is? And how important it is that you rely and wrap yourself in God's truth. Particularly when you go to a secular university today, you will hear from professors and other people on campus many lies about God. You wrap yourself in truth. How important that is. Basic biblical teaching of the word of God. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. Notice this thing is made in different wedges, uh, layers. 
uh, bands, if you will, that go around my chest and they're fastened together with leather strappings and brass fittings and stuff. It says in Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, some soldiers, uh, first soldiers, when they would come into the Roman army or be subscripted into it, many times they, uh, the lowest of the ranks had just a leather breastplate. It would be more the officers. This one that I'm wearing today, as you can see, is very shiny. Um, it covers the shoulders. Um, it covers my heart and my internal organs all the way down to my waist where the belt is. This thing is really very well covered. It's close around the neck. It gives very good cover. And it's, it's, um, this is expensive. By the way, if you're wondering, oh, boy, can I wear that? This suit of armor was custom made for me. So uh, if I gain a lot of weight, I'm not going to be able to get into it. There have been some people on staff when I got this that they're like, oh, let me put this on. And they're like either swallowed up in the thing because they're so skinny and uh, bony and others uh, just can't get into it. (laughs) It's been sort of funny watching that. But that's what the breastplate is. Um, It's very shiny, but it's made with bands protecting each aspect of your body like that. Now, why did he call this righteousness? Why? Is it called the breastplate of righteousness? Let me tell you what righteousness means. Righteousness is obedience to God. The daily living of God's word. Wrap yourself in God's truth. Put on obedience to God every single day. You don't take these off. These, remember the first three, you never remove These are never taken off. You are wrapped in God's truth and you are living a daily obedience to God. Another way of saying what the breastplate is, put on the breastplate of righteousness, is to put on the breastplate of holy living. Holy living. 1 Peter 1.15, God says, Like the Holy One who called you, become holy yourselves in all your conduct. We are called to be holy. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, we see it in 1 Peter also, we are called and commanded to be holy. And you put this on all the time. Putting on the armor of God, putting on the breastplate means being holy. 1 Peter 1.16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. So you wrap yourself in this. You don't take this off. Believe it or not, you probably think by looking at me, this is not very comfortable. Actually, being custom made, this is extremely comfortable. It's a little hot with all the lights shining on me and stuff, um, but it is very comfortable. I can walk around in this. It's heavy. It's This thing here weighs just shy of 30 pounds, this, um, this breastplate, but um, it's extremely comfortable. I was absolutely amazed first time I put this thing on at how well I could walk around, move around, and do things, swing my arms and stuff. It's It's very comfortable. And we're supposed to put this on daily. We don't take this off. We don't take this off. You live a holy life. Then the third piece that we never remove is the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, I'll tell you, to be honest, I have heard these shoes explained in so many different ways that are wrong by many pastors in in churches and stuff over my years. And it's, it's really sad because it's very easy to understand what this is. It says, the shoes, the gospel of peace, Ephesians 6.15, and as the shoes for your feet, 
having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, some people will say, well, this is to spread. The, this is what I've often heard, and this is not correct. I mean, it's, got, it's a good thought and everything, but that's not what this is meaning, where pastors or Bible teachers will sometimes says, say that this is to spread the gospel all over the world. Well, that is a commendable thing, and we are commanded, that's the Great Commission, to spread the gospel of peace all over the world. But let me ask you, what's that got to do with armor? Spreading the gospel is not armor. That's not what this means, folks. I actually went to a person one time after he was teaching on this, and I said, can you explain to me? How does spreading the gospel, telling your neighbors about Christ, how does that fit into the armor of God? It's not. I mean, they get that idea because of Romans. They go to a different book, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And they, they get into this, but that... That verse is important because it does tell us what this is. It's not spreading the gospel. It's having peace with God. You understand, before we became a Christian, we were enemies of God. Then when we become Christian, we're adopted into his family. And by having been adopted into his family, we have peace. Because now, as Jesus says, you call him Abba, Father, Daddy. The gospel of peace is the peace we now have with God. Not the spreading the gospel, that's not armor, but the peace we have with God wrapped in his truth and living a holy life. We can have peace with God. And that's what this is talking about. Do you understand the security that we have? The security of going into battle when you know that God's truth is wrapped around you, this holy life and stuff like this. We're no longer enemies of God. We're at peace with the creator God, no longer his enemy. How, how brave that should make us. Because God is on our side. That's what this is talking about. Be brave going into battle. Armies throughout history that have, have sometimes been defeated even before the, the battle began because they were afraid. They weren't at peace. They were afraid of what was going to happen. Other armies have been very small and have conquered huge enemy forces. And not because they had superior tactics or weapons, but their mindset. They were ready for a battle. They thought they, and knew they'd already won. That's what this is talking about. Having peace with the almighty God. If he's on your side, what can the enemy do to hurt you? Fourth piece we come to is the shield of faith. Notice this shield is very huge. It is a piece of wood, what the Romans had here, far large piece of wood here. And, um, and by the way, I, I should let's go back for just a second. And there was one more thing I want to tell you about the shoes. As I'm walking around on these things, sort of forgot about it. Let me show you. I'm just going to turn around, and let you see the bottom of the shoe. Notice it's studded with nails. Romans studded their shoes. Yeah, they did. It's sort of like cleats on a football field or a soccer field. You wear cleats. You know, if you have smooth sneakers and you're running on a soccer or a football field, it's very easy to fall down on slippery uh, terrain and stuff. The Romans realized this too. Many times enemies back in ancient times would not fight during rain on grassy fields. If it was raining, oh no, it's too slippery. We're not going to go out there. Romans could care less. They would attack people during the rains. They didn't care because they had studded shoes. Very, help, very helpful so you don't fall down. 
Now, the shield of faith. This large piece, uh, this huge shield, which you can see, this thing is all, almost a meter high and uh, probably uh, two-thirds thir uh, two of a meter across. This is a large piece of wood, uh, slightly curved, but it is wood. And it's wrapped in leather. And uh, you can see there's emblems that are sometimes, like on this one, there's an emblem on the front. There's a big iron boss, it's called, right in the center. And if I turn the shield around, you can see this is a hand piece. This is where you can hold it and make a fist. You can actually punch with the shield. Um, it does have a, a, a gripping here that you slide your arm in, and you can hold the shield. It's got places to hold onto. Um, but what they would do with this is this was an important uh, piece of weaponry and defense, but it could be an offensive weapon too. But before a battle, the Romans always soaked these in water. The night before a battle, they would soak them in water. Let the, um, they wouldn't soak them all night, but they would let them get very wet. They wanted the leather to be wet and saturated because the, if the enemy, and this was a common thing in those days, they would shoot flaming arrows. Flaming arrow hits a wet leather shield, it's gonna go out, it's not gonna burn. And so they used that for that reason. But it says in Ephesians 6, 16, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Isn't that cool? So what's the Bible say the shield protects us from? It protects us from flaming darts. The word for dart here is the word bellows, which is also the same word that's used for arrows. So flaming arrows, flaming darts, same thing. And that's what is being shot at us by the enemy. What, what are these arrows? What kind of arrow does Satan shoot at us? Oh, he's got a whole quiver full of them. Seducing temptation. Another one's called materialism. Oh, this arrow here is called pride. This arrow is called impure thoughts and actions. Here's a, an arrow called lust. Here's another one called anger. Here's an arrow called greed. And there's more. He's got a quiver full of these. So what exactly is the shield of faith then? I mean, I see I'm supposed to use it when these things get shot at me, but how, what is it? Why is the shield called faith? Why isn't it called the sword of the spirit or, or the word of uh, or truth or something like that? Why is it called faith? It's because, and here's your answer, it's because it is the faith you have in the word of God. That is actually what protects you when Satan tries to tell you lies and deceives you. You start to get how important the Word of God is. When Satan shoots a lie at you, or a temptation arrow, or whatever, remember Jesus was tempted by Satan? Same thing. And how did he combat it? The Word of God. It's the faith you have in the Word of God. That's why we need to study it bigger shield that way, protects us better. These shields were cool because the Romans would stand behind them, interlocking them with the soldiers left and right of them, making a wall of these. Then the soldiers behind would put their shields over the top of them. The soldiers behind them would put them like that. They would make a structure called the turtle. And the soldiers would then walk. Literally, in some cases, some battles, if you study Roman history, they literally just made like gigantic tanks, um, massive shields, with spears sticking out and swords just sticking out, and, they, and with their cleated shoes, they just walked literally right over the top of their opponents. And the people were behind in the middle were just stabbing down as they walked through with swords, just puncturing the people with the swords as they walked over them. Wow. But you gotta have the Word of God. You gotta know the Word of God to be able to have the faith 
to be able to distinguish and protect yourself against these flaming arrows. Number five, the helmet of salvation. Ephesians 6, 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, some helmets were made of just leather. And as I said, the first soldiers, um, the first year soldiers, just inscripted, many times were just given leather hats to wear. Um, this is a centurion's helmet. Or actually, I'm sorry, this is not a centurion's helmet. This is actually a prefix helmet. Um, it's got quite a bit of decoration, as you can see on it. Large plume of horse hair on top here. Um, going front to back shows me that this is like a general or a prefect. And notice the large, um, not just a helmet, but it's got large cheek plates, cheek protectors, and a large plate that goes across the back of the neck. This is a very, very heavy piece. They would line it with sponge and wear it on top of their heads. I'll tell you, my, as many of you know, my neck has been worked on surgically many dozens of times. So this is pretty heavy on my neck. And um, it's not the most comfortable thing with my neck. But if I had a nice, healthy neck, yeah, this isn't bad. It is heavy, though. But sometimes you, just, you, wanna, you don't sleep in this. You take this off. Remember, the first three you'll wear permanently. This one, <laughs> it gets a little heavy. But some helmets, like I say, were made really, really well to protect against arrows, stones, things like this, and blows. And Paul refers to the helmet of, as salvation of the person. Salvation of the person. Now get this straight. Putting on the helmet, this is very important, putting on the helmet cannot refer to a person accepting Jesus as their Savior. When Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, you put that on, oh, may, uh, let's get saved. No. That's not what he's saying. For one, this chapter is written to Christians who are already saved. So that's not what this means. And second, if you could put on the helmet of salvation, that would be something that you do. And you can't do anything to get your salvation. It's totally done by grace through God. You don't do anything for your salvation. Christ does it all. We just accept the free gift. You See, what happens is this. When you go into battle, Satan's going to try and strike you in the head. He has a huge double-edged sword, like this huge broadsword I've got here on a table. This thing is, well, 44, 46 inches long, very heavy. It's a two-handed sword. It's, it's a big thing. And he wields this double-edged broadsword at you. And the two edges on this sword are very distinct because what he is striking your head with is on one side of this blade is discouragement. The other sharp side of this blade is called doubt. And that's what Satan constantly uses against us. Discouragement is a weapon Satan uses to try to hit you where? In your mind. He swings it at us to remind us of what? Our failures, our sins, our health, or anything else he can think of that will draw us away from God. Christians who are not wearing this helmet get discouraged very easily. Christians get discouraged. I remember reading the biography of Billy Graham many years ago, and he talked about after he would do one of these big, massive crusades, he always hated Monday because the crusade ended on Sunday. Monday was the most depressing day, and he struggled with depression so many times. Followers of God do get depressed. I know it happens to me too. After camps are over, it happens. And this discouragement can lead to lost confidence in God if we're not careful because that's what Satan's trying to do. The other side of the sword is doubt. 
And that's what he swings at it. Doubting what? Doubting the truth of his word and doubting your salvation. These two edges work together hand in hand are effective in bringing down wimpy saints. So it's so important that we wear this helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is the absolute confidence in the saving power of God through his grace. It's the assurance of eternal life and it leaves no room for doubt. That's why it's called the helmet of salvation. You protect your mind and protect your eyes because what you see with your eyes is stored in your brain. And Satan will throw many things at you and he'll keep pulling them back up. Things that are not holy. Watch what you see. Be careful. Number six, the sword of the spirit. Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This one's pretty easy. The Roman sword was called a gladius. The Romans were very good at picking up weaponry when they conquered a nation that had a good weapon. They would utilize it, modify it, and utilize it. Uh, this gladius, as you see here, is a Roman sword, sort of skinnier towards the, the uh, bottom of the sword. It gets wider at the, as it goes out. It's not very long. It's very short. And the gladius was actually a Spanish sword that the Romans um, adopt, adapted and used in their own armors. And the point is, <laughs> no pun here, but the point of the short sword was literally to allow a soldier to step inside the enemy's guard. It was a thrusting weapon. Um, it was primarily used to stab with, not to slice and swing back and forth, though that did happen. Its primary use, when they would walk shield to shield, was sticking out and you stab people with it. It's a close quarter combat weapon. And Paul identifies this weapon as the word of God to be used not only to thrust and stab, but you know something? If you were to come at me with this big sword and swing it at me, I could easily deflect it using this, using the sword. The sword also, not just offense, it's a defensive weapon too. It can deflect the blows of the enemy. You understand what this thing is? This is a weapon that transforms people. The sword of the Spirit has the ability to cut through falsehoods and expose truth. It can cut through the deepest darkness of despair and depression and shed the light of joy and victory. It can cut a path from hell all the way to salvation's door. And sixth and final. Yes, there is a six. I know some people stop it at number five. But no, this, can, this paragraph continues, and it mentions one more weapon, prayer, Ephesians 6, 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is our most powerful weapon. It is a tremendous weapon and one that we seem to use very little. Notice that we are to be praying at all times. How does a person do Does that mean like when I'm driving a car, I'm supposed to have my hands folded, my eyes closed? No. Praying at all times is talking about the condition, the status of what you're at. You're walking so close with God, you realize he's right there and you're like talking to him and can talk to him all day long. If you remember God is with you all time and you can talk with him day and night all the time, that helps keep you on the alert. And also it helps to keep you ready to fight at a moment's notice. Remember, in, this isn't the only place you find this in Bible, in Romans 12, 12, God tells us to be constant in prayer. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing. 
To pray all the time, listen carefully, to pray all the time means to live your life in a way that you're always God conscious of his presence. And you're talking to him as you're talking to your closest friend. That's a weapon. That's a weapon. A powerful weapon. So that's the armor. We are soldiers. God has equipped us, and so well has he equipped us. It's amazing how well you can move around in this armor. I hope that you realize those first three pieces, though, you never take off. We wear them constantly. But did you notice how often the Word of God comes up in this? Knowing the Word of God, putting your trust and faith in the Word of God, being able to have a sword fight with some demon or Satan himself using the Word of God, just as Jesus did. When Jesus and Satan met in the desert for the, when Satan tempted him, man, that was a sword fight. Satan would swing his sword, Jesus would deflect it and counter with the Word of God itself. It was a sword fight going back and forth. So I hope that you are all wearing, not physically like I am right now, wearing the armor of God. Father, we've thank you for this time. <coughs> Excuse me. Dear God, that we've had here. And I hope, dear God, that I've made this clear. I pray that your spirit continue to teach all those who are listening. I wish those who are listening could see this armor so so they could understand how each piece fits. It's, it's so dynamic, the way you describe this. It's absolutely brilliant. And help us, Lord, to wear this and to live holy lives and using your word, confident of our salvation and the peace we can have with you, O holy God, now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.